Welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand, in which I ask what's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, of the history we are told. Under the Skin is sponsored by my book Recovery, which is available now. You can order it on Amazon. Why don't you then? You can. Go on. You can also get the audiobook on Audible. It's a bloody good book. You'll enjoy it. Now it's time for Under the Skin. Under the skin today are Hiron and Henna Gracie, brothers and part of Jiu Jitsu's most illustrious family. As sons to Horion Gracie, known worldwide for creating the UFC as a way to bring his family's Jiu Jitsu style to the attention of America's masses, Hiron and Henner have continued to perpetuate their father's legacy while carving out their own name in the Jiu Jitsu family tree. This includes taking BJJ into the technological age by founding the online Gracie University. The first interactive distance learning center for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, boasting more than 100,000 students in over 196 countries. The hugely popular online show, The Gracie Breakdown, has also seen them amass large numbers of viewers for their mixed martial arts commentaries. Welcome to Under the Skin, Hiron and Henna. And welcome to our house, man. Because here we are in your home stadium. In Torrance. Could you... I'm, I'm very grateful for being here. I've, like, so that people uh, at home know, I've been uh, training mostly with Hiran for just one week for five little uh, five-hour-long sessions. And the thing that fascinates me most about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, people that are fans of martial arts will be aware of its efficacy, of its power. People that know your family and your online work will know that there is a sort of a peculiar component to what you do as a martial art, which I've been particularly struck by. A kind of openness and a kind of warmth a kind, and a kind of love. There is something about it that surprises me a great deal. To start this uh, conversation, could you explain to me a little uh, about Helio Gracie and the foundation of what is known as Gracie Jiu-Jitsu? Helio Gracie. Our grandfather, for those who don't know. Um, first, thanks for being here. This is awesome for us. We were delighted to get the call that you were here and wanted to train Jiu-Jitsu. And for our viewing audience out there and our listening audience, um, Russell has only had a little bit of training here with us in California, but he is training in the UK and has been consistent for a little while. So it's always beautiful when Jiu-Jitsu has another you know, influential figure like yourself join the family and be able to perpetuate the amazingness of what we were so lucky to grow up with. Especially someone that's so good at Jiu-Jitsu as I am. <laughs> they laughed. They laughed. Listen, that was a test. Listen, you have all the attributes. You got the legs, the triangle chokes, and you've been incredibly dedicated. Um, but in terms of what you said about you know the warmth and the amazingness of Jiu-Jitsu, while you were saying that, I'm like, wow, it makes sense that it's kind of a shock to someone who gets involved in a fighting art to be received with the warmth and the gentility and the, the, the beauty of what is Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, something that you might not have associated with it before you kind of ventured into this, 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 this art as, as you began. And, and you're absolutely right in that we can trace that back to our grandfather, but really the core of what Jiu-Jitsu is, right? Um, Jiu-Jitsu is the most gentle martial art on the planet and self-defense system while also being the most effective. So we have the ability to not only defend ourselves against an attacker, but if we have to defend ourselves against someone, they're not going to get hurt. They're going to be okay. 
What do you think it was in particular about your grandfather that meant that jiu-jitsu, as it evolved through your family, has maintained this kind of gentleness? What was it about him as a man? I, our grandfather was very frail, very light, very small his whole life, so he had to be the most technical person in the room. And because he was so technical, naturally he can't rely on his physical attributes. He can't go out there and beat people up. So the gentility, I think, started there. If he was 6'3", 225 pounds, maybe it wouldn't have been a gentle experience for you this week. But the fact that he was as small as he was, it, we kind of continued you know, what he was so passionate about, which was being technical. So from the inception of jiu-jitsu, the idea that disadvantages can become advantages is seeded in it. The idea that something that would be considered a disadvantage, being frail, being small, these things can be turned to an advantage. That, for me, already seems like an interesting philosophical point. But as well as being, like, of course, a, uh, you know, I love all the gentleness and the warmth and all of that, but this is not the, the origins of this art in Brazil. There's a lot of conflict, a lot of combat, a lot of honour, a lot of your grandfather demonstrating the effectiveness of these principles in, you know, fights. Can Absolutely. you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, so, the, the, you know, that's kind of how the West was won. It was these challenge matches, right? So if you do jujitsu and this guy over here does karate and both think they are the most effective martial arts on the planet you have to fight to see which one is more effective we have to have a debate yeah a debate when it comes to martial arts is basically a fight it's a conversation and they're they're done in a spirit of education and the spirit of exploration our grandfather never considered himself a professional fighter like a prize fighter, like you see today with the, you know, the UFC and professional boxers. He didn't do it for the sport of it or even for the money of it. Our grandfather was a teacher of jiu-jitsu who fought other people in no-rules settings to prove that the jiu-jitsu he was teaching was effective. That was his demonstration of his effectiveness. Do you see the difference? Yeah. Whereas someone else might just fight for the sake of getting paid or, or the fame of it. Our grandfather fought because he believed what he was teaching was effective. And how else could he prove it than by choking someone out who was much larger, much heavier, much more athletic than him? He must have had phenomenal drive, nonetheless. This must have been, This is a man that had a personal mission. Because to take uh, jiu-jitsu from where it was in, what, the 1920s? Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 20s, 30s, yeah. To uh, where it is today, of yeah. course, his sons and your generation have also contributed incredibly to this mm-hmm. transition, and we'll get to the, the UFC and that kind of stuff. And your father's work with that. But like, what do you think? What do you think drove him? What made him want to do all that? He, you know, he always tells the stories about what jujitsu did for him. Right when he was a very young, you know, teenager, and he started learning these techniques and how much it helped him how he could barely run up a flight of stairs and he was not athletic at all he starts learning jujitsu from watching and before you know it he's teaching it a little bit and now he's on the mat teaching a lot so jujitsu made took him from this frail little kid to a superhero to brazil's first national sports hero so if jujitsu did so much for him he feels like you know what he felt like i have to show this with the rest of the world how can i not give this if it Save my life. So it began as selfish. It began as I'm doing this right now because I'm a little skinny, little weak kid. I need and it. I need this for myself for survival. It began with that. 
but it ended with service. And now he's affected just by his actions and those of his kind of uh, his 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 you know his future generations. Um, his successors, I should say, uh, that the whole world, martial arts will never be the same and can never be undone for the work that that little guy did in Brazil and then, of course, the family bringing it to America. And our whole lives, he always said, you guys, jiu-jitsu, anybody can do jiu-jitsu. It's for anybody. But like you said, this is a very gentle place and you were a little bit surprised as to how pleasant it was here at Grace University. People often think like, ah, oh, I don't know if jiu-jitsu is for me. I don't know, I don't know. But Eli Gracie thought, no, there's no doubt jiu-jitsu is for you. It's for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. And he knew that because it was for him. And if he could do it, it's true. being who he was, of course you can do jiu-jitsu. He is the lowest common denominator. Yes. And if he could do it and grow the way he did, no one is and, exempt from the learning process and, and the growing process. And also what he believed you had to do to do jiu-jitsu was very little. Somebody might think that jujitsu is, you know, rush somebody, overwhelm them with punches, well, take them down and armbar yeah. them. He, to him, jujitsu was simply uh, managing distance, good communication, talking the person down. Who knows? Uh, could be a little Don't bit of not getting punched in the face, not getting headlocked, just simply surviving, just staying safe for two or three minutes until somebody breaks the fight up. You just did amazing jujitsu, and yeah. who can't use that? He had a personal mission that, in a sense, is comparable to the way a lot of people feel about spirituality like people that have experienced mm -hmm. enlightenment they think i've got to share this message yes. with the world it's too good or, or perhaps myself with recovery from drugs and mm -hmm. alcohol i have a sort of a comparable sense of oh, i want to help other people with this i want people i want to i feel an obligation that if i can do this other people can do it uh, it's interesting that that at the point where uh, th this uh, art was conceived uh, it was about someone that felt uh, you know that they were in were vulnerable and inefficient or even as you have said like a smaller weaker guy uh, like now this is something that's still relevant to me learning it because like as we have discussed when I've been having the personal sessions it's like for me it's about accessing an aspect of myself that I've not been comfortable accessing before it seems uh, important that within this forum that superficially could be seen as being about st strength domination control vulnerability is a, a significant aspect of it peculiar that that's continued no yeah we talk a lot about how the, the more you learn the more you realize how much you don't know yeah right? it's a very so the, the vulnerability the moment you step on this mat in this room you're, you're very vulnerable which is why I guess everybody in the world is not walking into a jiu-jitsu school because they, they fear, you know, maybe being embarrassed or being injured or being, you know, overpowered. So the, the vulnerability, it takes a lot to come in here. And once you do come in here and you start to really work on that feeling of vulnerability, they think the possibilities are endless. And with you in particular, as you're learning that the... What we felt is that we'll show you a technique, and let's say a technique only requires 10% of your strength and, and energy in that particular situation. As someone who's newer to jiu-jitsu, you do what mostly everyone does, which is you put 100% of your strength to accomplish something that only requires 10% of your strength. And we laugh about it, but it's true. And then when you get in those positions, you realize that, and you even said this to me, you said, man, I'm, I'm overreacting to the threat stimulus here because that's all I've ever done my whole life is when there's a threat or an uncertainty or I'm uncomfortable or it's, it's fight or flight, I fight, you know, I go hundred percent in response to it. And, um, and I think that you're making a lot of discovery for yourself as we're doing this and saying, wow, why am I death gripping him right now? When he just told me that I can do it with 90% less energy and still be effective. 
active. Why am I doing that? Right? And that's important to kind of reflect on. Well, you, you haven't, he hasn't taken that technique into battle. It's true. He has not tested it enough to trust it like we do. I trust the move to where I can use 10%, 15%, because I know I believe in that move as much as I believe in anything in the world. You just learned it yesterday. You can't trust that move with your life. Trust. So you have to do it 17, 19, 47, 300, 500 times, and then eventually, and all of that with different levels of resistance, and then eventually you're gonna say, you know what? Somebody's on top of me, painting me to the ground. This isn't a problem. Life is great. This is no problem. You know what? Because I have the trap and roll. Because, I tell you why, and this is one of the things I learned from listening to you guys, like fear, it plays a part in me. Like it's a big part of my psychology. Even though there's areas in my life where I feel very competent and confident, still fear is very effective. Now, while I've been training with you guys this week, I've been doing stand-up comedy gigs, and I told you that even something that I'm very experienced in doing, stand-up comedy, you know, I feel like I feel like it's my job almost to allow fear to come into me. I respond to fear that if I'm not feeling frightened, I'm not doing it properly. You know, but because when I was uh, talking, actually, it was you that said, "Hey, when you are on the green mat in a fight situation, for you, this is home. And I was thinking, stand-up comedy, that's my home. I've been doing this a long, long time. So the next gig I did before it, I thought, right, now this is my home going into this place. It's natural that I feel these feelings of adrenaline. It's natural that this energy is coming into my body. But I want to use it. You said another thing about that guy, I can't remember his exact name, but maybe he was called Dragon or something. Yeah, Leoto Machida, the dragon. Mm-hmm. You said that he says that a fight situation is too complex to predict the outcome. All you can do is apply your personal fidelity. Now, this for me is a very spiritual situation. So before the gig, I was thinking, I don't know how this gig is going to go. Too many variables, too much chaos. All I know is if I stay connected to who I am, if I can observe it, then I will be in a good position to use my skills. Now, in that area, I do have trust. I do have trust that it's possible for me to succeed. But like in a new environment, and one could say this is a very primal thing you're dealing with, whether you're male or female, fear, the idea that another human being can dominate you, humiliate you, use you, this is ape energy, maybe even lizard energy. This is energy that's deep, deep, deep in the consciousness. So these techniques, I think, are positive. It's changing consciousness. It's changing consciousness. Uh, it's very important to... Uh, we'll talk more, of course, about your family. We'll talk more about the UFC. But I'm very interested in that uh, with this phase of the evolution of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you're very interested in programs for bullying, programs for uh, female empowerment, would you like to talk to me a little bit about that stuff and why it's significant? Well, that was a big deal for us. Like, we grew up in a family and in an era where everything was about proving jujitsu's effectiveness. So it was fights. It was my dad created the UFC to show that jujitsu is better than all the other martial arts. And Hoist went in there, our uncle, and did very well and put us on the map. Essentially, our grandfather did all that previously in Brazil. So this proving era was a very aggressive state of proving, 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 and it came off as. You know, as, a, as, as, as an era of just showing superiority, but it was really demonstrating effectiveness so that students would say, wow, 
if I'm going to learn something, I'm going to learn what those, you know, skinny Brazilians are doing because if I, if they could do it, so can I. That was the goal there. It was to inspire the eagerness to learn. That was accomplished. And it basically, 1993, UFC won, 94, 95. And then since then, it's been a known fact that jiu-jitsu is the quintessential art for MMA. So everyone kind of accepts that. But where we are today and him and I coming up through that era and we were, you know, early teenagers when that was happening and then we had to mature through that and figure out what was going to be our calling and what was going to be our really our focus for the family what's our contribution to this legacy and the conclusion was the demand for jiu-jitsu was unprecedented the world wants to learn jiu-jitsu what didn't exist is structured distribution mechanisms to get jiu-jitsu from our family to the world in in structure demographic specific ways that would reach and and and, and penetrate all the necessary audiences so that the, everyone could benefit because teaching jiu-jitsu to a police officer who has to go arrest a suspect non-violently and keep his gun in his holster is different than teaching it to a a survivor of sexual assault and it's different than teaching it to a kid who walks to school every day with his hands sweating because he doesn't know when that bully's going to approach him. Every one of those needs jujitsu, but how you communicate it to them is completely different. So what we are responsible for is the is the specialization of jujitsu into demographic-specific courses. Gracie Bullyproof for children, Gracie Survival Tactics for law enforcement, Gracie Combatives for the everyday civilian who wants to learn self-defense, man or woman, uh, just in the least amount of time possible, women empowered to defend against sexual assault. All of them are the, based on the same principles, same concepts, same techniques our family has been perfecting for almost 100 years, but every single one of them is communicated completely differently to their audiences. So that was really our biggest contribution. And then putting that online so that all of that was accessible anywhere in the world through GracieUniversity.com, that's, that's really cemented our contribution. And now it's just growing and we have more, more teaching to do. But it's all in that thought of you know, making it available for everyone, literally jujitsu for everyone. Jiu-Jitsu then is a kind of a language, even from my personal experience of Jiu-Jitsu, prior with my, the excellent teachers I've had back in the UK at Genesis Gym, I'll give them a little shout out because mm-hmm. I love them, Paul and Chris. Like, what I'm thinking is, oh wow, this thing is, uh, like, it's, I feel like I'm a little kid saying, the cat is on the mat. While they're able to say, this feline creature rests now for a moment on the mat. Like, watching the move, watching the patterns, the lucidness, the vividness, the beauty of the language. Now, like, so the inception of uh, jujitsu, as we discuss it with respect to your grandfather, was about, first of all, this is able to overcome my feelings of vulnerability and weakness. Secondly, this is the most effective form of combat against even other trained fighters. And now, what your personal mission has become as uh, as the heads of this part of the family as the heads of this journey is you want this language to be understood by people everywhere yes 100% hmm. yeah anybody who who like you said walks this planet has insecurities right everybody's worried everybody's scared everybody's you know worried about their personal safety or the safety of their loved ones so there's going to be some time in your life where something's going to happen. When that day comes, we just hope we can provide the jiu-jitsu that they need to get through that hard time. But it is literally different languages, mm-hmm. Russell, for each audience communicating to a woman. If, if, 
if you just speak to a woman who wants to learn for self-defense and to defend against sexual assault, jujitsu in the conventional sense, that the conventional way that 99% of schools out there teach jujitsu, and you were to have her come in and just try a beginner class at a school, she would see no immediate and direct application between the grappling idea of two people sweating on each other, rolling around on the mat, and the potential for defending against sexual assault. She would not see that connect. Now, is there a connection? Yes. But she would not see it. So what we have literally done is created adapters to make the same principles communicatable to this person, woman, child, cop, anything that makes them say, oh, this is not only effective for me, this was designed exclusively for me. And when you communicated that perfectly to a fragile, intimidated, uncertain beginner student, you captivate them, you engage them in the art to what would other have not wise happened because, you know, if you speak to them with the normal communication language of jujitsu and they go, wow, this is really kind of actually kind of doesn't seem very fun, effective. I don't see how I would use this in real life. She's going to dismiss jujitsu after her first class. And I say her, but I mean, I even mean men who go to a class and they're just not tough MMA wannabe fighters. They're just normal civilians and they come into a class and they go, wow, this is freaking nuts what they're doing here. It could be done absolutely correct. It's all boils down to how it's communicated. So so the answer is yes, everyone needs jujitsu. Everyone can benefit from jujitsu, but if you communicate it wrong, it's a disaster. Mm. And this even, even course to course, like even within the beginner Gracie Combatives course, you have three new people on their first day. Yes. Even those three have to be communicated to differently. That's how special There's a 225-pound kid that just came out of college, you know, playing football for three years in college. And now you have somebody who's who works at Bank of America down the street. Those are two different people in the same class. Program. Two same different program. energies. How are you making these individual evaluations? What s signs are you reading of how a person needs to be taught and embraced? What are the things they are conveying? We, we already know everything we need to know. From the handshake. Right, the moment Just from that, we already know. Go on, know. then, so... We what, already know. Well, that we was already know. So tell me then, from that, what do you... Just from that. So take that person to example. All right, I get you're, it, you're I get a, it. Listen, just from, from that, from you're that. a highly energized, overly eccentric, <laughs> potentially an actor, and a comedian of sorts, and you're coming here. You're excited to be here, but you're very nervous. No! Listen. <laughs> I want to have that! So you're excited to be here. You've been waiting to learn this stuff your entire life, so you're like, give me more. Your information over. Let's give it to this guy, because he's excited about it right but now. At the same time, we can't be too excited because he's also very strong you can tell from his hand yeah, so, yeah, hands my hands my hands a little sore from that so right now so we, yeah quite tough so if we're too excited it might make him a little too excited he won't relax True and he that. won't rush to the which movements. is what we're experiencing with you is that no matter how gently we teach you the moves you're over committing to their execution so our talk to you on the mat as you've noticed has to have been overly compensating to like hey russ look at this and we whisper to you during class and you're like wow why are they so relaxed why are they so calm <laughs> we hope they're trying to bring you down we hope that your movement will match our whisper and then you'll become the jujitsu whisperer. When did you learn those things which these are these are psychological and anthropological skills. These are not the uh, they obviously clearly intersect with martial arts. So when you're little kids with your father and your uncles yeah. and whatever family members were significant then how are you are you being taught this stuff at the same time as you're being taught this is how to do a triangle our grandfather always talked about how whenever he touches someone they start getting weak and he has this energy about him and this aura and what he meant was that if if i put my hand on you and my hand is like this no matter how tense you are it's not going to take too long for you to also relax 
Versus if I grab you oh, I'm already and I'm tense. squeezing, it's going to make you tense. So when you're fighting somebody, it's to our benefit to fight somebody, but find every moment we can to relax so that we can bring their energy down. We can calm them down, make them feel safe, and you're make them talk, feel you're not, comfortable. You're not saying just a student like Russell. No. You're talking about we're fighting the opponent who wants to kill you. I'm talking about and how, how we that? and how we teach him. In the fight, you hypnotize the guy. I'm soft to make him relax, but when I'm fighting somebody, I relax to make them go ah. And then, and he, then chokes I go, <laughs> he slices them. But to answer your question, let's get back on the anthropological <laughs> aspect of the connection and the <laughs> the connection. Let's talk about this idea of where we learn how to teach yeah, and connect. Yeah, how did you like learn this. that stuff as well? Let's be kids. clear: the the world knows the Gracie family as a fighting family mm-hmm. for a hundred years since 1920. You know, it's almost a hundred years now. That's what the world kind of sees on the surface. What well, we don't feel that way at all. We feel that we're part of a teaching family for three generations, almost 100 years. So as much refinement, dedication, obsession that has been dedicated to the process of choking out other human beings, that's been a very obsessive process for the last 100 years. As much as we've spent on that process, an equal amount of time and energy has been spent on refining the ability to transfer our skill set to other people. Is that really true? 100%. So as much as you're saying, oh, get right into the crook of the arm it's very important you're saying this is the best way to communicate 100% and that's why we are at the forefront of certifying other instructors around the world to do the same things that we are doing and we have 150 schools today who are all certified to teach all these curriculums we're telling you about not just the same techniques but communicated in the same way and in the same teaching methodology and that's an obsession of ours as much as the fighting itself it it wouldn't have made sense for my grandfather father's uncle uncles, cousins, to choke everybody out, all these challenges of other martial arts, and to prove that jiu-jitsu was the best, and not be ready to receive the thousands of people that now want to learn what they just proved to be effective. How was it to grow up as young men, transitioning from childhood through adolescence and puberty with the natural imperatives to impress your masculinity and individuality on your family environment when what goes before you is a sort of a warrior class? How, what was it like being teenage boys? What is, yeah. What's that like? That Every time? day I proved my warrior spirit on him. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know? that. So I, I proved to my family and everybody all my uncles and cousins and my grandfather that I was a warrior by how much I could beat him up. So as a young kid, he did receive a little bit, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that was me trying to prove that I was a warrior. And that was, it was a big thing. There was, yeah. there was a little pressure, especially at the age of 13, 14, of wanting to be, you know, what they were, which, which is, you know, these, like you said, it's warriors. But um, as, you know, as time passes, we quickly realize that what they are is... It's not just warriors, but it's, they're more than warriors. They're here to help people and to save the world. So I didn't necessarily see my uncles and my father as these fighters. I saw them as men that were making a difference and changing lives. Hmm. So that aspect of it, the sort of uh, social and mm-hmm. compassionate aspect, was you were aware of that yeah, quite I th- young. I think that might have been even a little stronger, especially because I didn't go down the, f- the route of fighting professional, being an athlete and a fighter. I went down the route of a teacher. Mm. So maybe I was more influenced by the teachers that were in the world in, in my life. Hmm. Although sort of uh, the generation before you, there are you know, v- world-renowned fighters. fighters. Yes. Well, and they were also 
around teaching, but they were in a time where nobody believed that jiu-jitsu was the best martial art in the world. When Hoist Gracie wins UFC 1, like in the interview straight afterwards, like, oh, what are you going to do? He says, I don't care about the money. Like, oh, you've gone $50,000. He says, I watched it the other day, I don't care about the money, I'm going back to teaching. That's what, like, you know, that's what, mm-hmm. that's what he says. Uh, so, like, it's clear that uh, whilst there is the imperative to prove for presumably for honor and for mission the efficiency of this martial art there is a a sort of a dedication and a devotion that's not just about mm, glory glamour superficial things yeah i mean if you fight that's a phase you can fight for three years nine years 12 years but you can teach jujitsu forever and there's nothing more rewarding than giving people this this magic jujitsu is magic it takes Took yeah. Ellie Gracie from, you know, a small hundred and you know, thirty pound frail man, could couldn't do anything yeah. to the superhero of the world. So this is magic. We're distributing magic. Whoever wants it, we're here to give it. And there are schools all around the world doing the same thing. So doing that, like there's no problem waking up coming to work we're not going to work we're just going to show up and give magic you see how it is when you walk in here i think that part of the reason why this concept of wow you guys are there's just such a humility towards you're here to serve you're here to teach this and not to bask in the glory of winning ufc one and why hoist wasn't very ostentatious or like you know uh, you know crazy about it and i think that the reason why it's hard for the the general population to understand this is because the only other time they ever see fights or any type of major competition happen it's between two athletes of the same skill set you see a boxer against a boxer two boxers fight each other with the same beliefs in boxing one guy wins so who won that match it wasn't a box it wasn't boxing that won that match it was a boxer a person mm. who won the match between two boxers what you have to understand with hoist and even our grandfather and the few challenge matches that we had of guys who didn't believe in jujitsu is we aren't fighting jujitsu is fighting jujitsu won ufc one hoist did not win ufc one jujitsu won ufc one and it beat karate and it beat savat and it beat boxing and it beat these other martial arts right it, it, it was more effective than all those others so that, that's very important to understand it is important and it's also it's very significant again to keep banging on about it is a significant religious idea most religions are built on the idea that your individual identity is not as important as the ideology that is managing your consciousness that if you and, and also surrender the idea that you surrender that you are only a vessel Yes. For Islam, our grandfather, one hundred percent believed that it wasn't him who won any fights. It was jujitsu. Hoist, when you see him after UFC one, perpetuates the same conviction that listen, you guys, I'm 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 here, but jujitsu is what is special, and I have other brothers who can do just as well as I can. I'm not the only one. I'm ah. just a representative. Oh, he very outspoken about the fact wow. that other brothers could have done what he did, and he was chosen because him and my dad had a you know a good relationship, and Hoist was one of the smaller members of the family, so it was actually a more uh, impressive demonstration of jujitsu's effectiveness for someone smaller to be that vessel, but absolutely, um, jujitsu is a religion. And when, what that does, it tells the whole world that anybody can do it. Anybody can jump on board and join this religion of jujitsu. I want to ask a little more because there's a very interesting moment in that first UFC mm-hmm. where your father, I believe, presents your grandfather with a, sort of a trophy to honor him. Mm-hmm. You're very intense, your grandfather, huh? Like the energy is, is a very still, 
intent. I mean, even this image of him here that people watching visually will see, there's something he's emanating something. He got a kind of monk energy, you know? Like, what was he like as a human being? This is like he's not. He's intense, right? He's, there's some humility. I listened him when he was talking. There's humility, but this is a person that is very. I know some people that are swamis, priests, etc. There's a very sort of a peculiar energy, a peculiar emanation. Yes, he was. Uh, I don't know. I think present and unfazed. Hmm. I think to him, very few things actually mattered to him. Yeah. You know what sure. I'm saying? So the point is, ah, no, he didn't hear that. He's right here. If you're talking to him, he's talking to you. If he's teaching you, you're the world to him. Oh, wow. And if, you're, if you do right by him, he'll do right by you, the most loyal guy you'll ever meet. And if not, he'll just, you know, if you guys aren't together, we're not together. Like, it's very all or nothing with him. It was very real with him. There was never any in-between. And, um, you know, it, yeah. absolute. And that moment you're talking about when he received the award, uh-huh. he was very, you know, the way that he was. It was still in-between Hoyce fighting. Oh, yeah, right? the Hoist final had to still fight That's again. true. Mm. So he's still in... He's fighting that night. That's true. Jiu-Jitsu. is fighting. Mm. His family's fighting. Jiu-Jitsu is fighting. So he's still That's in true. fight mode. Right, because remember, he did this his whole life. This has been in so many arenas, so he's he can't quite be smiling yet. He's still gonna be. There's no celebration yet. Yeah. How come that this award was given in that context? You know, was this UFC one? Well, yeah. So that's therein lies the product of when the person who created the UFC basically can do whatever you want. Right. So this is your father. Oh, my father is giving an award to his. So it's a little bit. um, How do you say it? A little bit. um, You know. You know, he, my dad was holding all the cards. <laughs> so he created the show, right. and he wanted to honor someone, and he believed that that is the original Ultimate Fighter, yes. and without him, there would be no UFC. So. so as the creator, you're allowed to do whatever you want of the UFC. You're allowed to do whatever you want, and to honor the guy who gave birth to you, who gave birth to the ability to even create this type of entity through which to communicate martial arts, you can do whatever you want. He did what made sense. It makes only makes perfect sense to have this guy in the octagon at UFC one receiving. Especially an award. to everyone who knew the award. Now there are some people who booed the occurrence. Well, people, I know because they just want to see more fighting. They want to see know? more people. Who is this yeah. guy? Why is he getting an award right now? We don't care. We want to see more punches and more beer and let's just yeah. get crazy right now. So there was that audience. But anybody who knew the origin of jujitsu, the UFC, yeah. Gracie family, this is absolutely. If meaningful. you're enjoying the UFC. Okay, thank him. Today, even today. Thank him, and thank our father, Hodion Gracie, and thank every Gracie who's ever fought and put their neck on the line against other arts to get it to the point where it could be this spectacle on television. How do you feel about how the UFC has permutated? It seems to me like uh, the UFC has become a huge spectacle, and uh, it's hugely successful, and must be generating a lot of revenue, but from a person that doesn't know very much about it, it seems that what it's had to do in order to do that is to let go of many of the principles of its foundation uh, to align itself, as many sports have done, yes. with the principles of consumer capitalism in order that it can be more spectacular, etc. So how do you, is that? I mean, what? well, the, everything you just said is what we feel. We feel that jiu-jitsu or the UFC began as something that was exclusively designed, make no mistake about it, as a vehicle to demonstrate the um, effectiveness and superiority of some arts and the insufficiencies of uh, and deficiencies of other arts. That's the only reason it was even conceived. It was just to show the difference of different martial arts, and it served its purpose. After UFC 4, 5, 6, right in that pocket, everyone said, wow, that little Brazilian guy wrapped up in the white pajamas, he's going to win. 
You know what I'm saying? Like that guy, he's gonna tie you. Watch, he's this little skinny guy. He's gonna. And once you started becoming where you knew the outcome before it happened, jujitsu had made it to America and to the world. And mission accomplished, we'll call it from an education perspective. And then since then, um, things started changing on the production side. They started adding time limits and rules and weight classes, and they modified the format so much so to make it more friendly for television. And then eventually, thanks to Dana White and the Fertitta um, brothers, they made it a sanctioned sport where people collab. It's actually a, before it was just a fight on TV. And then it became a sanctioned sport, which even though that was very much against the origins of what we were trying to do with the UFC, and by we I mean our father and our ancestors there, even though it was against that, it was absolutely necessary for it to stick around because it was running into some political pressure that it was going to get pretty much terminated entirely if it didn't make the adaptations necessary to grow to what it has today. And we benefit immensely from its current popularity today because jujitsu's main exposure to the world is in the in the through the means of a UFC fight where one guy does a chokehold that you know rear naked choke or a triangle choke, which is now a household name because of the UFC and because of the you know millions billions of viewers worldwide. We, we can say that the UFC today doesn't allow jiu-jitsu the way Elu Gracie practiced jiu-jitsu to be demonstrated. It's tough for you. Because yeah. of the fact that you have rounds, it doesn't allow you to let your opponent exhaust and burn energy while you're conserving energy. It forces a little more of you to push the pace. So it's not quite the safest jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But yet there are still many amazing examples of jiu-jitsu and well, techniques and being done and principles being yeah. performed. And remember the boxing example? How when two boxers fight, boxing doesn't win. A person wins. Today in the UFC, when two guys fight, it's not like... You know, and we have fighters here who represent and fight in the UFC, who are students of ours, who we have one that's fighting right now in a few weeks um, in, in UFC 222. And when he goes in, he represents jiu-jitsu. He does jiu-jitsu, but his opponent is a black belt in jiu-jitsu also. So when he goes in there, it's not so much jiu-jitsu one because they both believe in jiu-jitsu. Mm. So our student's application of jiu-jitsu and his, intel- his, his approach to the fight may be more intelligent and he may prevail uh, or not. So it's an individual who's going to win, not an art anymore. And, and that's the, basically what Hedon's talking about yeah. is now you have competitive athletes of high athleticism and capabilities going in there testing their individual attributes uh, more so than the authenticity or legitimacy of the art they practice because everyone's practicing the same stuff. Sure. So that argument has been won. It's, it's done, been yeah. demonstrated. So what? So this is what I'm, another another aspect of this conversation I'm interested to explore is you as men living in the ordinary world. What's uh, are there? What's it like for you if you find yourself in a situation of physical conflict or if a physical threat emerges? What is that like? And when tell us some stories about it because people love shit like that. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, you know, people say that getting in a fight is easy. And walking away is difficult, which I guess I, I kind of like that. It's a know? good little. I, it's a good little. I like that line. line but also, getting in a fight is also easy, especially if you're scared and you don't know what to do. Just go crazy and just attack the person out of fear. But for us, we're like, I feel like I walk around this world, and I look at 99% of the people in the world as sheep. How do you? What do you mean by that? They, like in terms of physical threat level. threat to mm. me like they're all sheep so if I, if somebody happens to be cussing at me in a car or honking at me and flipping me off or in in line at a restaurant there's disrespect done i look at that and i say man there's there's zero i don't even get my heart doesn't even race anymore huh it's, what about the disney world melon example 
I was at Disneyland and I had a melon in my hand and as I walked into the hotel, this man called me, he said, look at that guy carrying his melon. I was with my girlfriend, my wife now, and he, he said, he must be a faggot. And then I, I had the melon, and I said, is he talking to me? I said, it must be. I'm the only guy with a melon. No, not everyone's got a melon. Yeah. I have a, it's, I, an unusual, it's an unusual accessory. So I looked, and I thought, man, this guy, why would he say that? You know, and I looked at the guy, and he has two kids with him, a seven and a nine-year-old. And I just smiled, and I said, wow, have a good day. And that's it. But there was no, I didn't feel like, you know what? <gasps> He's a and I was with my girlfriend. Mm. Especially being with a woman. Good. You can feel like you want to defend your, your honor, honor yeah. in front of her. Stand up and show how tough you are, yeah. But the fact that he was 5'7 made it a little easier to walk away. Mm. Maybe if he was 6'5 and really big and a potential threat, I might have wanted to prove a little more. But then again, I don't even think so. I would have still looked and said, sir... Is everything okay? Just to be clear, I wonder if he wants, if he really wants to fight, we kind of have to give him the option. For you, your confidence in this martial art has moved you to a place where the circumference of fear, in much further away, it would, for you, violence or confrontation or combat is something that would only occur when absolutely necessary. Probably much more likely to happen to me because I'm like, like, you know, yeah. like if something like that happens, for me, panic, fear, yeah. chaos, demonstration. People don't realize how they, how much they contribute to making a street fight happen. That's interesting. Right? When you, there's an argument between two people, there's a talk before you know it we're yelling then there's pushing now they're punching and they're fighting so we have so we're contributing we can either make it a fight or we can make it a conversation that ends right there so knowing how to respond to somebody that's pissed off that you took their parking spot or who's who you accidentally look at their girlfriend in an inappropriate way knowing how to speak to that person it means everything and how you speak to them stems from how you feel and if you feel like everything's okay and that you're not going to be hurt and that if you do get in a fight, it will all be fine. Then you're going to speak from a much more calm But if you place. don't feel safe, if you don't feel prepared to handle the physical altercation that might happen, you're going to respond in fear. And that fear is going to escalate the combative energy between us. The way you have to look at it is you have to imagine that between Hiron and I, there is a meter. And everything he says either increases the combative energy or decreases it. Everything. There's no neutral. Increase or decrease and everything I say is going to increase or decrease But here's what's interesting is that I can only reach the threshold that it needs to reach for the fight to actually happen You have to reach a certain threshold, right? It's not going to happen from a calm composed civil conversation unless someone's out to assault you and rob you with their own intention But in terms of the street fights that we typically think of which is someone looks at someone goes like that And now a fight is on like that situation to happen has to reach a certain energy And when he don't says when I come up and I bump in or I say why'd you do this or why'd you look at her? What the hell and I get excited and he responds with equal excitement and fear and, and, and energy that creates that escalation and then once it hits the threshold someone's going to push someone and then someone's going to swing and the fight is on yes. and what we're saying is but knowing how to fight makes it to where you can respond to that initial stimulus so calmly that they go man what's this guy got I, this guy's freaking got I, a gun i partially believe something i kind of believe there's there's nothing someone can do to make me fight them other than attack me Mm. Right now, even if they had their hand on my shoulder, I'm like, yeah, you don't know, man. Even then, they're not attacking. They're still talking to me. I don't take that as an attack. Whereas most people, he put his hand on me. Boom, it becomes a fight. So there's, there's very few things you can do to make it a fight. And what is one? Throw a punch? That's it. To go for a headlock? That's it. Anything other than punching mm. me or trying to grab my whole body, there's no fight going down. 
It makes me realise that in my own life, not even outside of the idea of physical combat, in the idea of just emotional relationships where there will be no physical conflict, romantic relationships even, uh, the equivalent of putting the hand on my shoulder, I'm too easily triggered as a person. I'm too busy looking for <gasps> problem, problem, fear, fear. Like it's too much in my makeup, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's too much in my makeup. Um, but a, a more uh, local example before we drop it deeper again. Uh, what about you told me the House of Blues story? Yeah, so I, like I was little story. so uh, my now wife Eve, then girlfriend, were at the House of Blues over there in Anaheim. We were watching our friends Ozo Motley, amazing uh, Latin dope crew, and they're doing their music thing. And I'm in there, and it's great music. And uh, I'm standing with Eve, and it's a semi-crowded situation. And there's a guy to my immediate right here who basically created his own mosh pit. By himself. By himself. He's moshing alone. He's just boom, boom, going, going. And then he bumped me once, and I'm like, all right, I'm a passive, patient, gentle guy. And he bumps me again, and I'm like, he's having a good time. But it got to the point where, you know... You wanted to mosh with him. (laughs) You want to mosh, Joy? It got to the point where he was making it unpleasant because I was not able to focus on the, 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 the party. And then I thought, well, we could just move. But then the problem is I would permit him to continue his behavior, which would make it unpleasant for other people around him. So... The conclusion was made that he had to be dealt with. And I thought, okay, you know, how do I... It's very noisy. And I couldn't just say, excuse me, sir, excuse me. It would be too out of the... I had to get his attention. So if This Matt, might be the first time there's a necessary physical demonstration. <laughs> is, it, is it possible? Can you cover this? Because you did yeah, it. I can stand up right here. It was pretty fascinating. Yeah, so he's... I'll do it to Russell then. Yeah, so he's here. Moshing. Moshing. Yeah, I'm moshing that chair. I, 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 say, hey, I say, hey, man, oh, I can no, tell no. you're having a very good time. But I'm not right here with you bumping into me every second. So why don't we calm down and let's continue to watch the music. So what are the significant aspects of that? Well, first of all, I just had to, and I didn't yell at him. I whispered to him. Like, it was like that. Even though it was noisy, like, I was so close that I didn't have to yell. Mm. So as you can see, when I entered right here, it's one hand on the neck. I don't one, like that feeling. One on hand neck. on the tricep right here. One hand on the tricep. That. So right now, elbow me in the face right here. Can't. I'm too close. Turn and punch with the other hand. Got you right here. We're in the clinch already. We got him. Okay? So we're already... I have a tactical position right here of safety, but this right here sends a message. What it does it send? Control. It's like I think with animals, like when you put a puppy in your mouth, you know? I don't put puppies in my mouth. When a mum dog puts a puppy in its mouth, I think that's sending a very old message yeah, so deep, deep, deep into this, the biology. This brought him back to when he was like four. And yeah. his dad would grab him and be like, hey, you don't color on the wall. Stay we don't, know about, your past. We don't know about your past, but all we know is this. It, listen, the guy stood absolutely still, and he didn't even look at me. That's what's crazy, is that he wasn't even in a position to look at me. Like, my, this thumb right here has a little bit of a pressure point. Yeah, it does feel that. Yeah, and I just whispered this right here, and he knew what he was doing because he knew he bumped into me already. So after I let go, I said, are we cool? Yeah. Good. All right. So like a, that and then that was it. And I didn't move. And he didn't mosh anymore. The, the, the mosh pit was done. He left. He watched the, the show. Moshing. And here's the deal. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know what I had. He could have fought me. I mean, I did assert myself a little bit there. But that was a situation where calm, assertive, calm, assertive, accomplish many things. Because when you can remain that calm and put your hands on someone, if you have to, or even in communication, let's say it was a totally not noisy situation. And I said, listen, man, your behavior is getting a little out of control. I don't yeah. appreciate it, and I'm going to have to have you calm down a little bit. And I can talk to him like that, and I can be calm and composed and direct with someone. People appreciate that, and they go, man, either he has a gun, or he's a black belt at something, or he knows something. And that, you know, that, the ability to compose yourself that way comes from jiu-jitsu. It's so I rare. I would say that the territory of putting your hand on someone's neck and doing that, I think that's already 
jujitsu master territory. I think for me, I think if like I would be if I was going to confront someone in that kind of way, I think that would be a little too. I think that'd be a little too aggressive to do that. Yeah. So like you know like because it's for me, I think I wouldn't be feeling very calm. Basically, it's good to know that the things that you did was you spoke quietly, you did something that was controlling. I think for most people that are novices, the kind of situation that's going to happen is when someone directly yeah, right. confronts just, you. Or they just have an attitude with you. Yeah. And you know what we say is this. You know, egos and alcohol. 99.9% of fights, altercations that happen today would be completely non-existent if you remove the egos and the alcohol from the equation. Right. Simple. I've taken the alcohol out, but my ego is bad. I know you said that like, <laughs> on the front door, the doormat here, it says, leave your ego here. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? What do you mean by that? Yes, well, you're... you're, you're the feeling that you have to prove to everybody that you're the best. Everybody is in this is the proving ground in many ways. They want to. Everybody wants to be the best on the mat. Mm. So don't worry about being the best. You can try to execute proper technique and defeat each other. But this idea of you know you're greater than everybody else. You know what's funny about that mat though is that it says leave your ego at the door as if you have a choice. You don't. Right. What's crazy is it should, it should say pick your ego up right here when you leave. That's what it should say. Because it's, you're, it's not coming in with you. Because whoever comes in here with the ego, guess what happens? It gets taken out. And when, when it gets taken out of you, if you can let your ego... Well, yeah, I mean, my point is, even when you come in for your first class, we say, hey, Russell, how would you escape this position? And you go, I can't. And then we say, well, try this. And you go, man, that's much better. So you had to let go of the fact that you had the answer in order to learn the new answer. You have to empty the cup to fill it back up again. So when someone comes in, if they get into the class and they don't want to accept the fact that they don't have the answer for a particular threat scenario, they can't learn the new answer and they typically will leave before they ever do. So the students who stick around all of them have to detach themselves to some degree from their pre-existing egos otherwise you won't even make it in the building (laughs) and one small thing and speaking on egos and alcohol this idea when somebody confronts you in the street right just very natural and the words are exchanged and looks when you know if you want to avoid a fight in a heated moment like that where there's words being exchanged think about what you have to do in that moment and it's your ego you have to be okay saying to whoever it is that you're arguing with I apologize. I crossed the line. I made a mistake. I see why you're angry. I see why you're frustrated. I shouldn't have done that. I don't know what I was thinking. How can you want to fight me when I say, hey, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. You're right. I crossed the line. I'm going to move back. I'm not going to do that again. That's self-defense. If we instead feel like, and maybe I was right, I can say, no, you shouldn't have said that. And I was here first. That kind of attitude, there's no, there's no point. It's going to lead to a fight. We're willing to do whatever it takes not to fight. And there's good reasons why, you guys. Listen, the avoidance of the fight is the most, especially for our viewers and listeners, the avoidance of a street fight, even one that might seem absolutely imminent, it's unavoidable, is the most important self-defense tip you'll ever learn in your life. I've never been in a street fight. I was one when I was in seventh grade, and that was the last one. I was 12, 13 years old. That's the last fight I've ever been in, besides a little bit of a diffusing situation. But the point is this. The street fight, even the street fight that you win, you often lose. Because think about this. You get into a fight, you fall down, you you take someone down, your elbow hits the ground, you get stitches, you got to go to the hospital after, you get an infection, a staph infection, and you won the fight. Let's just say you won. Mm -hmm. Or... You, let's say for our friends who don't know jujitsu, you get into a street fight, someone puffs up, you puff up, they puff up, you puff up, you swing and you crack them and you chip their tooth and now you have a $20,000 dental bill on your hands because we live in a litigious society. Mm-hmm. So self-defense doesn't just mean how to avoid getting knocked out. Self-defense means self-preservation.
preservation. Preservation of your finances so you don't get sued. Preservation of your body. If you get in a fight and you get beneath someone and you're in the bottom of the guard and let's say they have a bloody nose because you hit them on the way in and now they're bleeding on you, there is, you know, there is bloodborne diseases or transferred sexually trans the diseases and the bloodborne illnesses that can be transferred. So you don't want someone bleeding on you in a fight. You want to avoid anything that has to do with the fight. So this idea of don't fight because it's the right thing to do. No, don't fight because it's a stupid thing to fight. Mm -hmm. If you can avoid it at any cost, you want to avoid a fight. And I feel like too many people think about self-defense as just the ability to win the fight, not the ability to avoid it altogether. It's very difficult to overcome that because we live in a, a quite a martial society. We live in a, like, if you take the example of what's happening in UFC, something that started as a demonstration of the efficacy of a particular martial art in universal or open conditions became controlled and regulated for the purposes of commercial purposes. It seems to me as well, another thing that I'm learning for us from my early experiences of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that it's about very much about awareness it's about having an awareness of your life as a whole, like you know I don't want to get into confrontations and an awareness of the present it, Like you know, while I'm listening to the two of you talk I'm continually thinking these are universal principles, these are applicable outside of the art of Jiu-Jitsu and outside of combat, that when I'm approaching my work, when I'm approaching my relationships stay in the moment think I'm with this woman for the rest of my life so why do I want to yeah. have a big argument where I say something damaging or with my yeah. child I have a relationship that lasts forever so it's not it's just, in a sense it's like the combat and conflicts because it is so vivid it's more obvious it makes certain principles more obvious yes. that are also applicable in all communication, because I suppose, as we've said earlier, this is a language, this is a, 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 a form of communication, and one of the things I've noticed with both of you, and even that demonstration, is that's a, a communications expert, that's someone who knows how to communicate in a very, very expert way, and possibly the reason you've not had any street fights is because for the last 20 years you've been neck-clamping people <laughs> every time no, you leave my, the house. In my defence, I only did that one time, <laughs> but I will say one. this, regarding the principles you're referencing, uh, it's beautiful because, you know, we talk about self-defense and fight and not fighting egos and alcohol, but what's crazy is that for every one time that I've ever had to touch someone, there's that blues, House of Blues, and there was the one in seventh grade. I have applied jujitsu, absolute core jujitsu principles on the business front, on the personal front, a thousand times to one. What's an example of the well, Welcome to the party, bro. Let's talk. Which one? <laughs> how many do we have time for? So this is what's so beautiful. And here's what's crazy, Russell, is that we, this is true for our lives 100%. Jiu-jitsu is life. Life is jiu-jitsu. Because these principles are universal that we're going to demonstrate. They're combat principles. There are 17 known combat principles that apply to, uh, to everyday life and to business and to relationships. And we'll talk about a few, whatever we have time for. Let's but, do them. But here's what's crazy is that our students who train with us start for self-defense, but they stick for the life application of everything we're learning here. That's mm -hmm. the, once you've trained for six months, including you, five, six, seven months of good jujitsu, you'll never need to train again for self-defense reasons. You'll be okay. You'll know how to manage distance. You'll know how to avoid getting knocked out. You'll at least won't go to the hospital and you're good to go. That's all you need for a fight. Just don't get beat up. You'll have that ability in a few months with jujitsu. But then why keep training for 16 years? Because every single day you come to class, you're reinforcing principles that we're going to demonstrate right now. All right. 
So what are we going? So, now we're on the floor. Yeah, now we're here. Come on, it's going to be you two. I'll commentate. So, uh, yeah, commentate because our friends at home who are listening to this, we're going to do the best we can. But let's just demonstrate one here called position before submission. Critical principle: the right move at the wrong time is the wrong move. Hidon is right now mounted on me. It's called the mountain jujitsu. Both knees over my body, and one amazing submission from right here is he pins the arm down. He locks his elbow in. He goes under my arm, grabs my own wrist, and this is called the Americana arm lock. All he has to do right now is slide my hand down, and my shoulder will dislocate right here and I'll be in excruciating pain and I'll either tap or scream, fights over, he wins. Americana arm lock. Great technique. And what was that principle here? Watch. Position before. So he's mounted on me. Go on my guard, Hedo. Now Hedo's going to go inside my guard. It's called the guard inside my legs here. Very common position in MMA. He's going to do the exact same technique. But watch what, dive on it, Hedo. Dive on it. Watch what happens. And now fights over. So why the exact same technique was completely useless, and not only useless, but actually dangerous for him using the technique from a different position. So as he dives across and goes, Americana arm lock, right? It looks correct. Hand grabs, his other arm will go under. The problem is this, when you do the Americana from within someone's legs, lock it up, they can create an angle on you, shoot this leg through, and they can get up on your back. Because my legs are around Hedon's body, I have control of the position, even though he's applying the right submission. So the question then becomes, what are the implications for this? You can join us down here, or have a seat there, Russell. The question becomes, what is this actually, oh, sure, down here. Yeah. The question becomes, what is the implication of this in, a, in an off-the-mat sense? Position before submission. The right move from within the wrong position is the wrong move. So let's just say that you have a product or you have a service or a plan of action or something and you're offering your product to the marketplace and it's not doing well. Let's say it's something you're really passionate about though. You're extremely believing in this product. This is your Americana arm lock and it's not doing well in the marketplace. What you have to reflect on and say, wait a minute, if the Americana is something that I know I'm supposed to be doing and I'm supposed to be selling, why isn't it succeeding? And the question is, are you in the right position? Are you selling it for the right price? Are you doing it? To, are you offering it to the right market demographic? Are you are you highlighting the correct and most beneficial uh, benefits or, or properties of the product or service, and to make sure it has the most effective penetration in the marketplace? Maybe are you doing it for the right reasons? Yes. Are you doing it for the principle of service? Are you doing this to create common so good? Is your position correct is on your what you're offering correct. or servicing? So, so this, this is, is the first one principle. Position. But position before submission. So you can have the best Americana. If you do it from the guard, you're dead. If you do it from the mount, you win the fight. Same Americana, different application position, and it's completely different effectiveness. The question is, what's your Americana in your life, and are you operating from the right principle and the right position? Failing forward. You don't get me in the guard. You're going to do the arm lock right there. Check this out, you guys. So the question is, in the guard, beautiful technique for Hidon, and we talked about how before, you, I should not go for the Americana because he can take my back. But let's flip the script now. What can he do from the guard that is so amazing? If I'm strangling him or choking him, he creates an angle, his legs fly up, and he breaks my elbow right here. He's holding my wrist, he's hyperextending my elbow with his hips, and I either tap or snap right here. It's a done deal, okay, beautiful technique. Let's do it again, and this principle is called failing forward. So he don't gonna go for it, spin for it, catch it, and look what happens. I rip my arm out, and then from here, look what he does and the fight's over. Yes. So what happened right there? I ripped my arm out of the arm bar, so in a mo at, at, at first glance, you look at that and say, wow, the opportunity was stripped away from Hidon. 
and 99% of the world would see that as a lost opportunity. He sees it as a perfect triangle setup. So don't you notice how in society, and we'll show it one more time, then we'll talk about the actual application here. He makes an angle and breaks the arm right here. When he's going for the arm lock, he wants my arm to stay here. But if I rip this arm out, he can't do that move anymore because this is the wrong arm. Watch, try this. He can't break this arm because my arm bends this way. It's normal. It's this arm that he would have liked to have broken. Great. So from here, when that fails and that's no longer available, this leg just comes around my neck and crosses around my neck. And now, foot on the hip turn, and I'm completely chokeable. Not just chokeable, but specifically because I ripped this arm out, I'm 100% exposing myself to a better technique in the aftermath. So before we apply this as a phil philosophy, yes. just as a combat position, that's incredible because you're on, like Hiron is on the floor, on your back, mm -hmm. but from here the arm bar being available is amazing, because this is a technique that I've learned it's in beautiful. the last few days, but a very beautiful technique, and then even if that arm is removed, if you're conscious enough, if you're awake enough, there is the opportunity to move the leg to the other side of the head. Well, and then you just said it, if you're ball. awake, if the opportunity is there, you're prepared to seize it. Because think about this, no matter who you are, what your profession is, what your passion is, what your pursuit is, you're gonna have setbacks. There's gonna be personal setbacks, individual, your life circumstance, something happens, throws you off your rail. There's gonna be industry setbacks. Let's say like the comedy industry takes a hit and no longer going to shows anymore. Who knows? Jiu-jitsu takes a spike, MMA, whatever. There's gonna be an industry setback and then there's gonna be potentially a, a society setback where there's an economic downfall, everyone's on a crash and things are tough. But don't you notice how sometimes in the setbacks, People lose and suffer, but there's always some superstars who come out and they capitalize and they win when everyone else is losing. Don't you wonder what operating system are they on that allows them to capitalize and grow to the extent that they are when everyone else seems to be failing in the same environment, right? And the answer is this. When you are going for the armbar and an arm rips out and you're mourning the loss of the armbar, there is no ability to see the new opportunity that's there. So the key of this principle called failing forward is allow unfortunate circumstances to happen, observe them, but immediately once they happen, know that they no longer exist, that they're there and they move on. Mm -hmm. And now what you observe of the present situation and what the opportunities are, and there's, I've never caught a triangle that I didn't believe was there or would be there. So when someone rips an arm out, I'm not mourning the loss, I'm actually expecting the triangle that's gonna come next. So when opportunity meets preparation, amazing things will happen. The challenge for most people is they're not putting in the preparation time when everything is going well, so that when things go bad, they can capitalize when everyone else is <gasps> suffering from the loss. And one. So your mentality in life or on the mat is that when something could appear to be a crisis, that this is gonna be an opportunity for you. Now this is something, again, I have to place this in a framework where I understand it, and I said to Hiron the other day, that like in a stand-up comedy situation, if I'm in a good frame of mind, if someone shouts something from the audience, mm -hmm. this is brilliant, this is an opportunity for me, I'm gonna be funny with that person, I'm gonna to talk to that person. But if I'm feeling nervous that night, I just think, no, no, that's messing with my deal, this is not how I wanted it to go. So again, this is a spiritual principle of non-attachment, this is the principle of allowing the world to be how it is, responding to it rather than thinking your personal will is what's important. Now don't you see though uh, Hena, that there is a, a continual ha like a, for me it seems like there is a tension between any principle of individual mastery and uh, the principle of sort of, of surrender how do you get into this position of expertise as martial artists and keep your 
yourself kind of grounded? How do you do that? How do you not become yourself over incensed by ego to, um, I want this to be the most successful university. I need this to happen. You know, like, how do you do that? Because there is so much, you know, like for me, I have to watch myself. If I do, if I have a lot of things go right for me, like, oh my God, look how amazing I was in that show. I have to work quite hard to go, you're very lucky. You didn't make that happen. You're lucky you got born with certain abilities at a time where people value that, that you had this luck when you were that age, when Mm -hmm. that that thing happened to you. I have to retell myself a story because my natural propensity would be to claim it back for the ego, to pick the ego back up on the doormat on the way out, you know? So how do you, so how are you applying continually these spiritual principles to maintain your own egos in check with the successes that you have experienced as as jujitsu artists and as men? Good question. I think what comes to mind for me is cautious optimism. I'm very optimistic. I'm very hopeful. Uh, I hope for the best, prepare for the worst mindset, you know, so um, be grateful for what we have. And I think in jujitsu, jujitsu itself is such a humbling practice. Mm-hmm. The very nature of what we're doing is so humbling to come to the mat, train with these guys and other, you know, talented training partners and realize what you know, what you don't know, and continuously sharpening that sword that you never get too high. But the confidence that jujitsu gives you also prevents you from ever getting too low. So you stay in this very healthy place that even when things are going exceptionally well, you know that, hey, I got to prepare for the worst and I always got to be thinking about what's next and growing and planning and jujitsu is three, four moves ahead. So that game planning for jujitsu in a real fight can be applied to, you know, to business and to entrepreneurialism 100%. And, and I think that believing that, you know, things are good, but things are, anything that's high is going to be low. Anything that's low is going to be high. So if you ride in the middle and always planning for the next step, you have your best chances. See, because the thing that I've experienced is that I think is perhaps different. I'm a 12-step person because of the alcohol and the drugs. And I think 12 steps is about dealing with crisis. This is for people that have been yes. broken in life. And so, like, because I think that I have in the 12 steps a philosophy that is very applicable. You admit something is a problem. You believe it could improve. You accept help from people or entities, if you believe in that kind of thing, that are more experienced and more powerful than you. Then there are some administrative steps and some other principles as well. But I think that from what I've experienced, that this is something that becomes relevant when you have become broken, when you have mm-hmm. become destroyed, which does sound comparable to what your grandfather experienced. He sounds like a man that experienced a kind of humiliation of some kind, mm-hmm. an ex- experience of humiliation. So you're saying that when you're, like earlier in the conversation, we talked about how Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu will be applicable to wide demographics, to children that are afraid, to people that are worried about sexual assault, to law enforcers. So but it seems to me as well that these, you know, every, the reason I'm interested in this, of course I'm excited by a martial art where people seem all brilliant and glamorous. I love that. Who doesn't? But what is more important to me is that it seems philosophically flexible and applicable beyond even the you know as we have just discussed beyond the realm of yeah. the martial art you know what I feel like I feel like a jiu-jitsu practice is like you know a week out in everyday life like think about the things that go True. down in one practice especially when you're fighting against each other you're experiencing so many hardships, That's you're true. failing, right? You're being outsmarted, you're being manipulated. These things are happening to you while you're grappling. We're being tricked and, you know, we're being threatened. Yes. You, you feel like you're under pressure, you're, there's the risk of injury. There's all these things happening, especially right now, point. amongst us two as black belts fighting each other. Yeah, how is that? When there is, it's, it's like a war. So. When these things go down, and then we learn to deal with these things on the spot. Mm -hmm. On the spot, I experience immense threat. And then I have to 
fall back and use what I've learned my whole life Patience. to deal with that threat. So I just practiced it, like you talked about earlier, in, in our 10 minute session yeah. that we did a fight. So three days later, when I feel threat, I'm, I'm at home. I feel right. threat every day. Yeah. Right. Every See, that's role. a good point. He said it. You know, everything you experience in a in a, you know, five or ten minute jujitsu training session, you that that presents all the emotions and highs and lows of a month or six months of the average person experiencing it out in life or business or personal relationships. So we're basically creating these this petri dish of experimentation hmm. and of constant uh, refinement of our ability to handle those outside stimuli uh, in a, in, a, in a fighting sense. Hmm. And let's be honest. When you can be comfortable applying your living principles in a in a fight against another human being, then there's nothing that you're going to be uncomfortable dealing with. Ultimately. I think in my own personal psychology as a male, and that's the only gender I'm qualified to speak for, that it informs a lot of my behavior way beyond actual conflict. I think the imagined threat of conflict really informs me psychologically of, you know, and fear as a phenomena. And what I sense is, is that if I personally spend time around this kind of energy, it, it gives me a different sense of Groundedness. It opens out my spirituality into another area. It seems like a. Uh, it seems like something I've neglected a lot in life, and something that, that it feels like it's a good puzzle piece. It connects me in a way that's very. It's fascinating to yeah. me. It really means when when I look at people, I I want to look at every single person on this planet and look at them and and feel good. I don't want to look at someone and feel like ah, you know, an anger or fear or yeah. anything negative. I only want to feel good, and no matter how negative they are. So I just think about myself as a, you know, a spiritual and a balanced person. You know, jujitsu allows me to be the best person I can be, the nicest, most peaceful person of all. Everybody says the very common quote is, "I'm a lover, not a fighter." That's why I do jujitsu, because I'm a lover, not a fighter. This is no question right. about it. If, I've if, been in those sessions, although a lot of it did seem more like fighting than loving. <laughs> no, no, no. Be honest. You weren't fighting. He was loving. <laughs> but think about how if, if you don't want to do the martial arts because you're a lover, what that means is when you're threatened, how are you going to defend yourself? By hurting the person because you don't know how to do it any other way. So you can true. only hurt the person to defend yourself. Me, on the other hand, I practice fighting all day. So when you attack me... I can love you back. I think it would be remiss to, uh, to wrap up this interview without me being involved in some demonstration of a move because I've, liked, I've really, really loved this conversation. I've loved hanging out at the Gracie University, Gracie Academy for this week. It's been brilliant. I can't endorse it heartily enough. But like, uh, I think it, like, it's been Let's wonderful. Let's share with the Punch Block series from the Guard. Can we show them the one that we had worked on stages one through four? Have you, seen, you guys reviewed some of that? We did it. We did it. Let's do it. Let's do so it let's talk day. about, and this is comfort in worst case scenarios. This, this is comfort in worst case scenarios. This is the next me, principle, and this Russell technique demonstrates it beautifully. Do you want to go Russell's out there? going to do it. Yeah, you want to get his guard? You're going to do I'll, it. I'll talk to the principal here, and Russell will be doing it with you. Where am I in this situation? Slide, in the bottom of the guard right here. I'm taking off my West Ham socks. So that yes. was dishonor that football club. Yes. So he, he, yeah, you guys want to slide down south a little bit, come down a little mm -hmm. bit. So in the guard, wrap him up in stage one, Russell, where you have head control, arm control here. Well, real quick. So, yes. He doesn't wrap me up in stage one. If he lands down here and has no plan, worst case scenario. news. So imagine. 
imagine, Russell, imagine being here with zero jiu-jitsu knowledge. This is awful. What would someone do in your position who knew nothing right now? They're panicking. They panic, protect their face, and he don't just drop bombs through the cage, around the corner, in the body. You're going to eventually get opened up and get knocked out from here. This is actually, for most people watching, this is actually worst-case scenario. But when you understand jiu-jitsu and you understand a little bit of distance management concept, which Russell has learned from us, we can demonstrate it now. A series of stages to mitigate this threat and be able to stay safe and calm as a result of that. So stage one is when Russell, have him wrapped up, get inside, and hug his head, Russell, the head and arm control that we talked about. Yeah, wrap that arm, and you're here. This is called stage one. And then if, let's say, we're here, and he don't start trying to pull body punches, bring your knee inside, Russell, and that's stage two, other knee. So now he's blocking punches at the second stage of protection. If he don't sits up, and he's on his chest, Russ, look at that, he's blocking now at stage three. Now he don't can't reach punches from there because he's too far. And if he stands up, stage on the feet on the hips, this is called stage four. So with all these stages, you notice that how he don't never at the range to knock you out. And then from there, punch, punch, let him back in, Russ, wrap his head up, and he's back to stage one. So it's a cycle. And you can go from stage one to stage three. Sit up to three, right there, knees on his or chest, one. look. Or four, direct, punch, punch, let him back in, boom, boom. And he pulls him back down. So to be able to manage, and what happens throughout all these exchanges, he's burning energy trying to hit you, and you're just managing the distance so he can't knock you out. So he's exhausting while you're preserving well, energy. Well, I'm having a lovely cuddle. If you relax, <laughs> yes. If you relax, like we talked about, and don't tense up too hey, death grip. It's me. Why are you doing it? Why so tense? It's me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you control from here. And then we have your triangle. Why don't yeah, you yeah, I want to do the triangle. So bring your arm inside over here. Bring your knee inside. So that's where you push his arm away and bring your knee inside his arm. Slowly. Yep. Shin comes in. Now slide to his wrist here, boss. Now pull your leg out and around his neck. Beautiful. Cross that leg, get the arm across, shove his arm over, now grab his head and lock your legs up nice and tight there. Squeeze your thighs together, grab your shin, tight thighs, everything squeeze now and pull your head down, pull his head down. Squeeze your, grab his head, grab his head. You think? Thighs, yes. Six seconds Fixed and he's gone. Right. And that principle right there is called the win-win principle. You, you do the move, he taps out, you let go, everybody wins. Think, think about this, you, you didn't hurt me. Right, he's, <laughs> he hurt my ego. <laughs> he neutralized punches. Right. And then when I got tired, you went for a triangle, and I threw a little pressure on my neck, and then I tapped or I cough a little bit, and then you release. Right. You didn't. He didn't punch my face in, break my nose. He didn't have to. He could let go of me and say, "Hey, is everything cool here?" So awesome. And I kind of like you know half fell asleep. Let's say I passed out a little bit, and it's and now we can stand up and have a cup of tea. There doesn't have to be this no beating. alcohol. That was because I'm English, right? <laughs> no, no alcohol. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, That's so beautiful. To be able to neutralize the threat, so the, to be able to put out the fire without adding more fire to it. Yes. Yeah, yes. To, be able, to be able to stop violence without violence. Do you see how this is so applicable to bullyproof and to a child who's getting bullied? Because if you have a child, which you do, congratulations, and they're growing up three, four, five, six years old, and someone's picking on them, and you didn't have jujitsu to teach them, you would say, hey, child, go over there and punch them in the nose, because you don't have another resource to help them stand up for themselves. And then you basically turn your child into the bully yeah, to fight the bully. But jujitsu is a, such a gentle approach to the same threats that it neutralizes it and they could literally be friends after the altercation yeah, is complete. I, my children, they will not even call jujitsu fighting. If the time comes where they're getting bullied and they're seven years old and nine years old and they start doing jujitsu, they didn't fight the kid at school. They just controlled the situation. Right. If we think of it as fighting, then we're gonna, don't let our kids do this. No, change wow. your idea of what it means for your kids to stand up for themselves and fight back. When you use jujitsu, you're not fighting back. That's you're so just, beautiful, that timing. I've already thought that, like, I want to teach my daughter, Mabel, that, like, that, you know, to when she says, I am angry, to say, no, no, you're not angry. Just right. in this moment, you are experiencing anger. The yes. anger will pass. But you're saying that you could reframe the whole way they see the world, that even a situation which a lot of people live with fear of, of physical violence, you could see it as just as 
oh, this is that thing happening where I do the gentle cuddling of jujitsu. We'd be doing this on your, do it on the, at home with them, just on the carpet. You just play jujitsu so they won't hesitate to tackle the kid that's been bugging them for the last yeah, two, They don't weeks. see that as a fight. They see that as a, as a physical resolution to a threat scenario, but not as a violent proposition. No. Therefore, there, there should be no barrier to prevent them from doing what they need to do because the biggest problem, and we, we did a video of this recently with our friend Vince Vaughn, who's also a student, and we talked about this concept of the biggest kind of threat and concern you have for kids in, in, in schools is not even the bully. It's the policies that are implemented to try to prevent bullying. They're called zero tolerance kind of bullying policies, which means if someone's teasing you, that's wrong. But if you stand up for yourself, you're also wrong. So you're going to both get in trouble. Mm. And that's a problem because then a child is paralyzed by a policy and will not defend themselves because they're not allowed to fight at school. Anybody who's involved in a fight is wrong. Both kids get suspended. So you have a policy that's meant to help the victims of bullying, but it actually enables the bullies because if I tease you and poke you, I know you can't stand up for yourself because you'll get in trouble if you do. So the good kids are handcuffed. The bad kids take advantage of the fact that no one else can stand up to them and they can get away with all the bullying they want. So it's a parent's job to say, hey, son or daughter, whatever the school policy is, don't worry. You can always do your self-defense. You can always neutralize any threat against you in a nonviolent way and you're never going to be wrong with me. And if it's wrong with the school, I'll deal with the school myself. But a child needs to hear that from their parents. Otherwise, they remain handcuffed. Serious. <laughs> and, and, and back to what I said, when you're in the principal's office, yes, you know, you're in trouble for fighting. I, I wasn't fighting, principal. I, I wasn't fighting. I, I was, was just holding the person, yeah, talking to them with a hold. No, I didn't fight. I didn't punch them. I didn't want to make them bloody. I didn't fight them. I just held them down until teacher came. Fighting okay. is punches and kicks. What world are you from? This is very beautiful. I think that you're reframing a lot of things. You're reframing fear. You're reframing conflict and combat. You're helping me to address things, I think, like the psychological issues that are probably laying about in the landscape of my mind unaddressed for a very long time. Very, very grateful to both of you. Thank you very much, Huron and Henna Gracie. It's honor for you to Thank come you. visit us, man. Come anytime, and hopefully you can make it down to California more often. We can roll more. We can mm -hmm. talk more. I'm going to be uh, doing a lot of push-ups between now and when I next see you. I think you're going to be impressed with the results. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank you for being here. Nice one. Nice one. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Under Skin with the Gracie brothers at the Gay Gracie Academy. I didn't say Gay Gracie there. That was just a mispronunciation. And so what if it was Gay Gracie? It was while I was there. I spent the whole time falling in love with here on Gracie this show is sponsored by my book Recovery which is available now you can order it on Amazon you can also get the audio book on Audible or you could listen to it on a Kindle couldn't you uh, finally if you like this show please subscribe and review it on iTunes only give it a five star review go and do a five star review you'll feel nice it's nice to see those five stars light up uh, also maybe you want to get it off Stitcher or whatever it is you do just get on with your life. You're all right. There's nothing wrong with you. Who's it criticizes you? Well, that's probably their problem. Don't worry about it. You're all right. Don't you remember what your nan said. Trust her then. All right. Bye bye.